This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this show's for you. Hi there, I'm Laura Cave, and this is Better Benefits, episode number 37. Today, I am delighted to welcome Cindy Gentry to the show. She's someone I've been wanting to interview here since we met last year, and the stars have finally aligned. Cindy is a consultant and senior advisor to women's benefit companies like KindBody, MayHealth, and MidiHealth, and others. She's got a real passion for and a lot of experience working with employers to build benefit programs that better serve women. The timing of this conversation couldn't be better. It's been widely reported after the release of the January 2022 jobs report that there are 1.1 million fewer women in the workplace than there were in February 2020. Various studies tie this disparity to women shouldering the impact of disruptions in childcare and in-person school more than men. But these recent trends highlight issues that have been with us for some time. Social and family dynamics aside, the nature of women's health issues can make it challenging to maintain productive focus at work throughout all their working years. From maternity to mental health to menopause, women need access to certain kinds of healthcare more often than men, and they need benefits that leave them just as healthy and protected financially from healthcare costs as their male colleagues. And so before I get carried away, I want to introduce Cindy and have her bring us up to speed on this issue. As I mentioned, Cindy is a senior advisor and consultant working with women's health and benefits startups such as KindBody, MayHealth, MidiHealth, and others. She has over 30 years experience in developing client-focused human resource and process improvement solutions with an emphasis on health and welfare plans. She holds a master's degree in public health from UC Berkeley, and she lives in the San Francisco area. Cindy, welcome to the show. I am truly honored to be here. So good to have you. So as we start off, tell us a little bit about your professional journey. You've been in the benefits world a long time. I'm curious how you became so passionate about women's health benefits specifically. Well, you gave a little bit of history of my career journey. I started my career after graduate school working for a federally funded healthcare center for the Latino community in San Francisco. So my passion truly at the outset of my career was community health and still is. I went on to be a management consultant, 14 years in health plans, 19 years working for Mercer, advising clients. And in the last year, really advising startups on my passion projects. So there's really two issues that I carried through my career. And at this horizon of my career, want to focus on one is health equity. I do not believe that we have a health delivery system that equally supports people of color, women, and people of different socioeconomic classes. So that goes back to my really original job in healthcare 30 years ago. The second issue that I'm really passionate about is women's health, because I fundamentally believe that we don't have a delivery system that supports women of all ages. You referenced it. We we focus on maternity and fertility, but really, if you think about the way the healthcare system is arrayed, 
We haven't really focused on women over 40. We haven't made healthcare affordable and accessible for women. You know, if you think about the fact that women only make 80 cents on the dollar as opposed to men, we have to think about not just accessibility, but affordability of healthcare. So healthcare dollars definitely go further with males. And then you you think about the fact that there's male bias in research and vaccines, drugs, and diagnostics. You mentioned the fact that women are leaving the workforce because of childcare issues, flexibility, and time issues. But I would submit that they're also leaving because they're not supported to stay healthy, productive, and on the job. So I think that becomes the focus of what we could talk about today and why I'm so deeply passionate about this particular item. I want to be able to move the needle on access, quality, and outcomes from a health equitable perspective and from a from women's perspective. I love that. You've got a very clear mission and we should all have such focus in our careers. I, I really admire that a lot. So this is precisely what I wanted to talk to you about. And I know that you read, I, w- I wouldn't say all the research, but a lot of the research. And I'm wondering if you can summarize for us the size and scope of the problem when it comes to the gaps that women are exposed to, even when they have employer-sponsored benefits. Well, let me take you through history in terms of how we actually got to where we're at with a healthcare system that doesn't really support women. When you think about it, and this really dates back, the male body became the default option for research and clinical interventions. And it dates back, believe it or not, to the 15th and 16th centuries. European physicians used grave diggers to exhume, they exhumed bodies or cadavers so that they could use them for study in the medical industry. Not surprisingly, these were male bodies. So maleness became the model for medications and research. And even today, we use mostly males. It actually has only been in the last 20 or 30 years that we've started to introduce women into clinical trials. And not surprisingly, even the laboratory mice that we use are male mice. So how do we've built a system over the course of centuries that really focus on the male body rather than the female body. Research and at McGill University found that doctors, even doctors, and there's also the issue of, of bias, by the way, among male and female physicians. At McGill University, they did a study and they found that doctors assume that women are to be more emotionally volatile and have a higher threshold of pain. Is there documented evidence of that? Not really sure, but it's this perception and potentially bias of of physicians in in the industry. This is where you get physicians and medical professionals reporting emotional, and you've heard this before, psychosomatic symptoms when women present themselves in office. There was a 2019 study of the US healthcare delivery system, and it was was about the subject of pain. And it said when men men are more likely to be given painkillers when presenting with pain, women are more likely to be given antidepressants or sedatives. So there's this differentiation in how we view, how we diagnose, how we treat, and what kinds of implicit biases there are in the health delivery system. And one final thing on the subject of research, there's lots of research from the American Heart Association and the British Heart Association about the differences in how men and women are treated when they present with the heart attack. There was a great article in the New York Times recently where it said that if a woman with a heart attack is presenting in the ER and is being treated by a female physician, that she has a much better chance of survival. So we've got to remove these implicit biases and create a system that is actually equitable 
for all. So, you know, summarizing that, female ailments are woefully under-researched with their causes and treatments. Women are misdiagnosed and mistreated by male and female physicians. So we have this gender health gap, both nationally and internationally. You asked about the size of the market. The size of the global women's health market is by 2027 is going to be $41 billion. So there's a, there's a clear business case here for getting a delivery system that supports all. Yeah. And I mean, even on the most basic level, it makes sense that if you've got employer-sponsored benefits with cost-sharing, that women are more exposed to that cost-sharing, that financial responsibility, because may have health issues at various points in their life that cause them to seek care. And often they don't because of those cost-sharing responsibilities, knowing that that bill is going to come. And then I think that's a big part of it as well. Well, let's talk, let's talk about a few of the gender disparities. So among 11 developed countries, the US has the highest maternal mortality rate. And which is actually, by the way, increased over the past few years. Part of this is an undersupply of medical providers. Part of it is getting people to understand, you know, pregnancy sooner, getting the right interventions. We know that more than half of these deaths are preventable if we had better pregnancy and postpartum care. So there's an excess issue and there's a variation in clinical practice issue. If you look across the country, tended to be, you know, rural areas, definitely there are vacuums. And I talked about the health equity issue. First, Black women are three to four times more likely than white women to experience maternal illness or death, which, by the way, is the reason why I'm so excited about May Health, because they're really focused and targeting interventions, early interventions for when women, Black women are pregnant, use of doulas and support so that the outcomes can be improved. One in five women experience postpartum depression, but rarely get help for this. So you think about that particular health condition, look at the outcomes and statistics, Are do we have a delivery system that is supporting that gender disparity? Take another issue, alcohol use. While men are more likely to become dependent and addicted to alcohol than women, the health effects are more extreme for women, increased risk of breast cancer, fetal alcohol syndrome, potential for heart disease. So again, how we diagnose and how we treat women and men have got to both be equally addressed. And then finally, the issue of heart disease. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for women. I know, and I years ago wrote a paper on breast cancer, so I'm very, it, I don't want to minimize the issue of breast cancer, but heart disease is the leading cause of death for women. There are higher rates of heart disease, by the way, with Black women. Women are more likely to experience delays in emergency care. And I talked about the fact that women present differently and their survival rates are different. So again, you look at these health disparities and say, how can we have health benefits that support equal access to both their benefits and a delivery system that supports them to mitigate these health conditions? and make sure that outcomes and quality of care and access are equal for both women and men. Yeah, so you you have spent a lot of years working with employers on their benefit programs and if we you know we might have brokers or employers listening to this and thinking, yes, those problems are out there, but my group has health insurance. It's okay. Like we're covered. But I wonder if you can talk a little bit about where the gaps are in today's employer-sponsored benefit programs? Well, let me, first of all, it's, I would say 
how employers think about benefits is changing. You mentioned it at the outset, given the COVID crisis and what I would call the great reset or the increased resignations or the fact that women at a higher percentage are leaving the workforce, which by the way, if you think about cohorts, women 40 plus are leaving the workforce faster and more than other age cohorts. So given what's going on right now with the great resignation, the great reset, women leaving the workforce, the focus on diversity and inclusion, I think employers are rethinking their strategies for health benefits and justifiably because we have we have a distributed workforce, we have flexible workforces. People now need different things for different times. And so I think employers and in fact I read this week that 25% of the employers actually spent more in health benefits this past year because they were rethinking what employees need. And I would say what employees need, not for work-life balance, but for life-work balance. Cost management became less of an issue for them. It's not that it's not an issue, but it became less of an issue for them. They, I think employers said we have to take care of employees at every stage of life. And so they started to rethink the complexion of their benefits. They leave policies, pay policies, and the kinds of benefits in terms of childcare and other kinds of benefits that made it easier for them to to work at home. The other thing that I think we saw more of is virtual care continues to be incredibly important. And mental health is probably at the top of the list for what employers are considering and interested in because they want to make sure their employees are mentally sound because this has been stressful over the past few years. Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned that you think employers need to think in terms of more personalized cohorts or maybe maybe more nuanced cohorts. Do you think that is partly about life stage in addition to gender and other types of factors? I do. If I look back over the way employers were viewing their employees in the past in order to think about which benefits, clearly employers are incredibly smart. They look at their data, they understand what's being utilized. They want to be able to support all of the health conditions and chronic conditions that employees have. But I think generally speaking, employers thought of people in cohorts. They thought of all millennials or all Gen X, or there was a time in consulting where we did a lot of work on personas and we aggregated people in groups, both based on their demographic, their choices, their geographic location, and life stage, but it was much more in the aggregated approach. I think what employers are doing now is saying, let me take a step back if I'm really, truly wanting to support my employees and do a more customized, personalized, and individualized approach to my employees. And so if we take the example of women, right? Again, lots of investment in fertility and maternity, which is absolutely justifiable, high costs of maternity, It's important to address. But when women reach 40, there's little targeted support for women. And at the menopause stage, which by the way, menopause can, if you take into account perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause, you could be talking from seven to 20 years where women are undergoing menopausal or hormonal hormonal transitions, and they're absolutely not supported. And that's why I'm excited about MIDI Health, which is essentially revolutionizing digital care for women over 40. And there's some interesting statistics I wanted to share with you. 75% of the women who seek care for menopausal symptoms 
don't get the care they need. Three quarters, and why? Three quarters of the physicians are uncomfortable talking about menopause. 10% of the OBGYN, only 10% of the OBGYNs even have training in this regard. So women in this age group are misdiagnosed and undertreated. Let me give you a great example. And this is a, this is a true story. There's the story of a woman in her mid-40s who presents to her senior leader, who's a physician, by the way. She comes profusely sweating to the table. He gets worried, doesn't really ask her any questions with respect to possible age and possible symptoms that could be hormonally related, sends her immediately to the ER where they do a diagnostic workup for cardiac, which costs $3,500. So like at this point, you, you start to take that kind of real example and say, well, why did that happen? And is the employer spending 3,500 in that case for care that, by the way, didn't mitigate the symptoms, didn't address the problem, didn't get the right outcome. And probably took much longer than was necessary. And took much longer because subsequent visits needed to happen to find out that it was actually hormone replacement therapy, magnesium, and diet changes that needed to be made. Another situation, um, again, true story, CEO in a startup who is not sleeping at night, again, in this same age range and is sent to Stanford sleep study rather than getting the right hormone replacement, naturopathic remedies, diet changes, exercise and lifestyle issues doesn't get the right treatment because they're not even asked the right question. So I do think there is a question of, you know, if 75% of the women who seek care are not getting the care they need, that's number one. Number two, the question is employers are now expending dollars that don't need to be expended and women are not getting treated. Right, right. Well, so as you think about how employers are going to tackle these issues. They're deep-seated, they're historic, and they're woven into the fabric of our healthcare delivery system. <laughs> you know, sort of what is an employer to do, especially one who does care and is putting in those dollars? And I'm just curious, like, what is the business case for putting together a benefits program that specifically has benefits that better serve the women in the group? Great question. So when I look at the business case, I think about the impact to women and to the employer at large. 99% of the women felt that their symptoms negatively impacted their careers. So think about that. We've now had the great resignation. You talked about 1 million women leaving the workforce. I talked about the fact that women leaving faster at a faster clip in this particular age group. And 99% of the women felt that their symptoms negatively impacted their careers. Almost 60% of the women in this age group took time off due to symptoms, 18% for eight weeks or more. So think about the demonstrable impact on productivity in the workplace when symptoms are not accurately and adequately being addressed. 50% of the women say they're less likely to apply for a promotion. So when you think about, I think there's this juxtaposition of women in this age group and just the time when we need to elevate women going up the corporate ladder and you've got a clash of, of issues because women are leaving, less productive, not going for promotions, 
And by the way, 25% of the women consider leaving their jobs altogether. So women are getting derailed at the peak of their careers. I think that is precisely the business case for employers thinking about a solution that will absolutely help them to mitigate these symptoms. And Midi Health is a perfect example of that. It's the only digital clinic. And by the way, I want to tell you, it's not a menopause company. When menopause is the first thing being addressed here, but as you probably know, there are lots of upstream implications of our hormonal deficits, including you know cognitive decline, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease. So it's not just a today issue, it's got upstream implications. Midi is the only digital clinic that's addressing women over 40 comprehensively, holistically, using evidence-based clinical guidelines and technology enabled. Wow. Well, so it sounds like, you know, there's there's a potential here to help people be healthier, be more productive, women in particular who are the employee, but then you also have the benefit of the impact that that would have on any women participating in the plan, maybe they're they're participating as a spouse. That creates it relieves stress on the family which I think also you could argue creates more productivity on the team when a family is able to focus and and a partner isn't struggling with postpartum depression or perimenopause symptoms that haven't been figured out. Getting to those solutions faster, getting to care that is appropriate for the person and their symptoms, taking those things seriously and leveraging new technology like digital care platforms, I think is really exciting. Um, Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the business case is, do the benefits make people healthier and more productive, right? Exactly. Well, we talked about the business case, but the outcomes. I believe fundamentally it will reduce absenteeism, increase productivity, extends retention of high-value mid-career and executive-level talent. If you, By the way, if you have to replace somebody in executive-level ranks, it can cost up to 200% of the annual salary. So we've got to figure out ways to keep people in the workforce. And the fact that it's digital and virtual, you know, reduces the cost of visits, replaces high-end specialty care, eliminates ineffective treatments. I mean, these are all the reasons why you want something for women that, and thank you, by the way, because it's not just about the women, the, the women, but dependents husbands whose wives need relief as well. You've got to make it accessible and affordable. By the way, Midi Health is all covered by insurance. So so that relieves that stressor as well. That's great. That's great. I mean, I, we're hearing so much about this. We've had conversations with companies like Accolade and Omada Health who are using technology to change the care program and the approach to care delivery using technology, but really thinking through how do we serve this person and treat their condition with the providers that that are at the level that they need and at the, the pace of interaction that's necessary to create the kind of change we need to create. So for example, in chronic care management, you know, it's about changing things from an episodic visit, doctor visit, to more of an online coaching program where people interact weekly or even daily and have a coach and have a relationship with a coach where they feel like, I don't want to disappoint this person, so I'm going to continue making these changes in my life. And then all of a sudden, you see the health outcomes 
change. And so it seems like we have an opportunity in women's health. And I'm still reeling from the fact that you said that from perimenopause all the way through that process is just as long as the average woman's childbearing years, right? It's a whole second season of where these health concerns are are frequent and are often not talked about. It, it just strikes me that there's such an exciting opportunity to redesign care delivery using digital technology for these particular pockets of health concerns for women. And it goes back to the point we made about individualized. So, you know, I talked about it being evidence-based and tech-enabled. So in Midi Health's case, a woman would go to the portal, complete a questionnaire, then, and you'll see this across digital solutions, once the questionnaire is filled out with respect to symptoms, there's a customized treatment plan. So most of these digital players are using some degree of clinical expertise combined with AI technology that says this is the right treatment plan for this individual, right? It gets back from the, are we looking at things as cohorts versus individual plan? Once the treatment plan is developed, this person would meet with a specialist in a virtual visit, which is covered by insurance, and they can receive treatments at their doorstep because there's at-home labs, at-home RX and supplements. And you can stay involved with your clinician so that you're staying ahead of symptoms in this very important horizon of people's careers. That's really exciting. And I bet the data coming out of that is only going to continue to improve the care planning that they're doing. Well, and say that Midi Health did a beautiful pilot study, and 78% of the women who participated in pilot said this was this was better at or better than the care they're getting in, you know, in-person delivery systems. So we know it helps. And, you know, they have renowned experts, by the way, at hormonal transition, breast cancer. As we know women who undergo breast cancer and subsequent treatment go through early menopause. So Dr. Mindy Goldman is one of the key experts at UCSF, is the renowned expert, I should say, and is a key advisor here. There are experts in cardiovascular health. We talked about all the conditions that are that where women present differently, cardiovascular health, mental health, osteoporosis, weight management, as we know, that's an issue, brain health, because symptoms actually during this menopausal period can be you know, there can be brain fog and cognitive declines that really impact your ability to be productive and present on the job. Well, I'm so glad you're here to help shine a light on some of these issues. I hope that this has been, you know, inspiring and thought provoking for folks who are listening and thinking about what a, what else can we add to our employee benefits program to move the needle and make this employer stand out. I think this is a real area of opportunity and innovation. And it's with, you know, the companies doing like what May Health and Midi are up to, Kind Body as well, developing new solutions for these different health challenges and seasons in a woman's life. So really, really glad to to dig into this with you today. Before I let you go, I do want to ask, we're always looking for ways to sort of sharpen the saw, if you will. And I'm wondering if there's a, a book or a resource that had a big impact on you, either personally or professionally, that you'd like to recommend to us. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I love Maria Shriver. I, When she was the California First Lady, I participated in her conference for seven years and met, met her and absolutely love her and everything she does. 
She wrote a book called I've Been Thinking, and I thought to end today's discussion, I would read, it's it's a book on reflections, prayers, meditations for a meaningful life. And I thought I'd read as we close today, something from that book. And here's the quote. Today, I love being a woman. I love the energy I can bring into a space. I love being different from men. I love working from both my femininity and my strength. May we reassure ourselves that being a woman isn't a liability. It's an asset. Like any asset, you must invest in it, care for it, recognize its uniqueness, and nurture it forward. If you're a woman, never doubt that you belong at the table. Never doubt that you bring something to it. And never forget to save a seat for someone else. Wow, that's great. Thank you, Cindy. Really, really appreciate you and your all the wisdom that you bring. And if you're listening and you'd like to connect with Cindy, she'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. I'll add a link to the book that she mentioned to our show notes, as well as some of the companies and research that she mentioned. And you can find all of that at joinbrella.com slash podcast. If you want to get in touch with us here at Brella, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch through our website at joinbrella.com. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Better Benefits newsletter. As always, thank you so much for listening. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zarillo from the Better Benefits Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.